Hello and welcome back to this episode of Sully Sports Hub. This week we're going to have a little bit more of an MLB focus. The All-Star Game is rapidly approaching and uh, as that gets closer next week, we are going to have a couple episodes this week focused on the All-Star rosters, uh, my opinion on how I think they were constructed, what I would have done differently, and we're going to focus specifically on the position players that are going to be starting. So there's there's so much, uh, so many players that make the All-Star game. I think that's the easiest thing to focus on. I think it's also the most fun thing to kind of build out a lineup relative to just picking players. So that's what we're going to be doing in these next two episodes. So this episode is going to be the AL episode. And then later this week, you'll hear the NL episode where I go through my All-Star lineup for the NL as well. Before we get into it, I want to give a little bit of background for people who may not be as familiar with uh, some of the statistics or analytics that I'll be going through in today's episode. So most of you that know me know I am a pretty statistically minded person. I I really like looking at analytics and uh, that part of sports. And baseball is probably the sport that has the most complexity in their analytics at this point. And that's just because of the nature of baseball. It's a much more simple game where there's not as many outcomes. You know, in football and basketball, there's so many variables go happening at the same time on a court that even looking at, you know, points or rebounds can sometimes be difficult because so much of that matters based on the context of what is around you, how good the players are around you. You know, in football, a quarterback is only as good as his offensive line and his wide receivers. In baseball, that's not as much the case because especially for position players, you know, they're facing the pitcher. They they have the responsibility on themselves. And so pitching, the results for them are a little more dependent on their defense, but still it's a one-on-one battle with the hitter. And so the analytics for baseball are much more exact. They're much more dependable and it doesn't mean they're perfect, but they do play a much bigger role in evaluating these guys. So I want to give a little bit of a background on some of these. So I'm sure, you know, most of you have heard of batting average, you know, that's kind of the most basic, how often you get a hit on base percentage is a little more complex than that. That's just how often you get on base, not just getting a hit. So that's including walks, that's including hit by pitches. So that gives a little bit more of a picture of how often a guy's getting on because it doesn't really matter if you get a hit or if you just walk you're still going to first base and I'm going to go through this and get more complex you know some of you probably are exposed to these pretty pretty often so slugging percentage is kind of another build on to batting average where instead of getting one out of one for a hit you now if you hit a double you get two out of one or if you hit a triple you get three out of one so it's a way to tell how well somebody is hitting for power Uh, Then this formulates into OPS, which is on-base percentage plus slugging. Now, this was created to try to accurately show the value between both getting on base, but also having more bases. So it equally weights on-base and slugging percentage um, to try to come up with a value that demonstrates how somebody's contact, their getting on base skills, and their power come together. What that then led to recently was OPS plus, which anytime you see a plus on a stat, the only thing that is saying is that it is rated on a scale of 100. So similar to an IQ score, it's it's similar to that where if someone has an OPS plus of 115, it means they are 15% better than the league average hitter. If they have an OPS plus of 85, they are 15% worse than a league average hitter. 
This makes it much easier to understand, you know, the, these numbers that sometimes can be weird decimals that don't make much sense. It puts it on a very understandable uh, palette for everyone. And so when you hear me say, you know, this guy has a 165 OPS plus, that means, you know, he's a very good hitter. He's 65% better than league average. The last couple of stats I'll mention before we go in, the next one being WRC plus. This is weighted runs created plus. So when you think about OPS, that's on base plus slugging, that is a very arbitrary standard to add up, right? You're just you're saying I'm going to add up on base plus slugging. Well, what are the chances that that exact formula is the perfect formula to determine how valuable certain outcomes are in baseball? You know that's pretty low, right? The the idea that those are supposed to be equally weighted. So WRC plus actually takes and calc has calculated how these should be weighted and how you know how valuable a single actually is, how valuable a double actually is to potentially create runs. So it's called weighted runs created plus. It's on that same 100 scale. You can think of it as pretty similar to OPS plus, but just a little bit more exact, a little bit more valuable for us to look at. And then lastly here, um, we have war. And war is one of the more, I think, confusing stats because it's not, you know, it's not something that's a percentage out of one. It's a cumulative stat. And basically what it's telling us is how many wins a player has contributed above a replacement level player to their team. So, you know, say you have Mike Trout, you know, if Mike Trout has nine war in a season, that means that if you hypothetically, if you were to replace him with a player that you could go randomly sign as a free agent, Mike Trout would provide nine more wins for your team over the season than that player, which obviously means he's very valuable, right? Nine wins is a very big swing over the course of a season. And the last thing I'll mention too is that as StatCast has become more popular, which uses uh, batted ball data to measure things like exit velocity and launch angle to get a little bit more behind some of these numbers and why we why we see the things we do. There have also been things that have come about that are expected stats. And what those do, for example, expected slugging is one of those stats. It takes the batted ball data, so how hard a player is hitting it, how high a player is hitting it, and then projects what their slugging percentage would be based off of that data. So sometimes this gives us a good image of a player that might be underperforming or overperforming based off luck or based off good results that that may regress back to what we're expecting from a guy that usually makes contact at that rate and, and at that angle. So those are the stats I kind of want to give a background on. So, you know, throughout this episode, if I mention something that sounds confusing, you can always refer back to this part at the beginning. Hopefully those that, that clears things up because I will be going through a lot of numbers as we go through this episode. So to start off this American League, we will start at the catcher position. And I'm going to give I'm going to give who was named the All-Star and then also who I think should be the All-Star. Sometimes it'll line up, sometimes it won't, and we'll see how that unfolds as we go. Uh, a lot of times, you know, All-Star voting especially for baseball, a lot of times the best players do make it, but a lot of times it's also a popularity thing. A lot of times name recognition is also important, and sometimes they just get the voters just get it wrong. So it's interesting to kind of see um, who ends up starting and who may have missed out on an opportunity that definitely deserved it. So to start at catcher in the AL, um, this is a guy that did deserve it. Alejandro Kirk was the was the voted starter. He is also, in my opinion, who should be starting. He's the catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he he broke out this year after not playing too much over the 
the past few years. He's still very young. Um, he's a bowling ball, man. He's probably 5'9", but he's probably 230, 240 pounds. So he's a very stout guy behind the plate. Catcher in general is just a very thin position. There, most teams do not have a guy that starts and plays every game. A lot of guys will, a lot of teams will have maybe a lefty catcher and a righty catcher so that they can platoon these guys. So have the lefty face the righty pitchers and the righty face the lefty pitchers. A lot of teams will just have another guy that they trust to play a lot because catching 162 games is just really tough on your legs, man. Those guys need rest more than any other position. So catcher in general is pretty thin, and most teams don't have a guy that plays every day. Kirk is one of those guys that has played for the majority of his team's games, which already puts him in a pretty elite class, and he has just been an offensive machine. He's the only catcher that has walked more than he has struck out this year in all of baseball, which is very rare for any player, much less a catcher. So to have that offensive skill from behind the plate is just very rare. Um, he has almost a 400 on base percentage. He's at 395 right now, which 400 is you know in that elite tier of players throughout baseball. And he's also rated 96th percentile in StatCast's framing metrics. So he doesn't have the best arm, but behind the plate, he is stealing you strikes. And so for those unfamiliar, framing is basically the idea of catchers trying to catch the ball in a way that makes it look like a strike. So then the umpire is more likely to call it a strike. So Kirk is elite at framing behind the plate, which is a big factor in defense. And he's got the highest war in the American League at the catcher position. So to me, this one's pretty clear. Kirk is by far the best offensive catcher in the AL. And I think his defensive stats are good enough to where it's not really a big question mark for him. So I agree with the voters assessment that Kirk should be the all-star starter at catcher. Now, moving on to first base, this is one that is definitely more questionable. Honestly, I think Vlad Guerrero, who was named the all-star starter, really doesn't even deserve to be in the top three, if we're being honest. But this is a case where, you know, Vlad Guerrero is a star and he's a name that everyone knows. And that that plays a big factor in all-star voting. In my opinion, Jose Abreu should be the AL starting first baseman. Now, there are multiple choices for this award, and I think they all have decent cases, um, but Luis Arias is another guy, and Ty France, um, Luis Arias from the Twins, Ty France from the Mar- or from the Mariners are also guys that have good cases. Arias has been the most impressive this year offensively, but Arias is only third percentile in stat casts outs above average metric, which is the metric I prefer for defense. It takes into account... Um, bad at ball data and how difficult it is for a guy to make a play. And I, I prefer it over some of the other defensive metrics out there. And he is, you know, like I said, third percentile. So he's only better than 3% of MLB players defensively. That's just not, not very good. Very difficult to become an all-star when your defense is that bad. And Ty France, on the other hand, he has, you know, very solid offensive stats. He's not as bad defensively as Arias, but it is still 14th percentile. And when you compare that to Abreu, Abreu's up at 77th percentile and outs above average. So there's a big gap between those guys. And France is also limited because he did miss time due to an injury. And so he does, Ty France does have pretty good average stats. You know, the ones that aren't as big of, aren't as factored into games played, but some of his counting stats just don't line up with Jose Abreu because uh, he hasn't played as many games. And Abreu might be the boring pick here. You know, guys like Arias and France are probably a little more fun. They're newer guys. Abreu's been around for a longer period of time. We kind of know what we're getting with Jose Abreu. But 
Jose Abreu, to me, all around has been the best player at first base this year. He also leads comfortably in expected weighted on base average, which is the stat that feeds into WRC+. So he he is expected to do even better than he has been. And that, that indicates to me that, you know, some of the at-bats he's taking, the contact he's making um, has been better than these other guys. I will say Luis Arias is a super fun player. He is leading the MLB right now in whiff percentage and K percentage. So he is a contact machine. He does not swing and miss. He does not strike out. And he also, you know, he's just one of those guys that when he puts it in play, good things happen. So he's a super fun player. I enjoy watching him. But, you know, as we also know, contact sometimes is not the most valuable thing, especially when you're comparing it to to a power hitter. And it's very difficult for a guy who is a contact player who is also a very poor defender to be the most valuable player in his position. And that's not to say it's not impossible. You know, maybe a guy like Tony Gwynn has been able to do that in the past, but you have to be a very, very good hitter. And Arias has been good, but I still think Abreu has had the better season so far. So Jose Abreu would be my pick over Vlad Guerrero Jr., at first base. And to mention Vlad, I mean, Vlad's numbers just really aren't in the category of these other three guys, which is why I didn't address him too much. He, I, I think it's pretty clear he just was voted in because of his popularity. Moving on to second base, I think this is one is a little bit easier. Uh, Jose Altuve was voted as the all-star starter. I think they got this one right. It's pretty clear that he has been the best second baseman in the American League so far this season. He leads qualified second baseman, and by qualified, I mean having the minimum number of plate appearances needed to show up in major statistics, basically just showing that you're not relying on a small sample size. He leads qualified second baseman in weighted runs created plus at 160, so he's been 60% better than the average hitter. He's also a pretty average defender, and when you're hitting that good, it's just so much more valuable than than anything else you can possibly do. DJ LeMahieu is kind of the next guy in line behind Altuve, but he's only at a 125 WRC+. plus. There's a pretty big gap there. LeMahieu is a better defender than Altuve, but the other thing about second base is defense is not necessarily as valuable at second base because you're just not being asked to make as many difficult plays. And so even though LeMahieu is the better defender, I value Altuve's offense much more from the second base position, especially when you see how large the gap is between these two guys. As we go through, I'll also give some fun stats of these players, and this is kind of the first one here. So Jose Altuve has only, he's only in the ninth percentile of average exit velocity. So in terms of how often and how much he's hitting the ball hard, he's really not hitting the ball hard at all. However, he is still 92nd percentile in whiff rate. So he is not hitting the ball that hard, but he never swings and misses. And this allows him to just put the ball in play, make good contact. And still, you know, that average exit velocity is smaller, or I said smaller, it's lower because he is smaller. Um, he is still, you know, he still hits for base hits. He, he still can hit for power as well. And, and so I think it's very interesting to see a guy that doesn't necessarily hit the ball that hard, but is still a consistently great hitter and has been his whole career. The other thing that's interesting about Altuve is that he has murdered fastballs his whole career. Uh, he has his run value, which is just something that shows you how how well or how poorly you hit a certain pitch, is for fastballs has been amazing his whole career. The past couple years, he has really struggled against sinkers. That's that's been one of the pitches he's been the worst against. This year, sinkers are now as 
his highest run value. He's had his weighted on base average against those is higher than any other pitch. That's a big shift for him. And I think it's one of the reasons that he's having such a good offensive season. Another thing I will note, and I'll do this a couple times as we go throughout this episode, another guy to watch that's not necessarily an all-star, but I think could have a really good second half is Trevor Story. Trevor Story's defense at second base is only second to Tommy Edmond, who we will talk about in the NL episode. He is 99th percentile in outs above average, and it makes sense, right? Trevor Story was a shortstop who is now playing second base. Second base is a much easier position to play than shortstop, so his defense has translated very well over there, but he has been very streaky this year hitting, and if he could get hot, I could see him jumping LeMahieu and Altuve by the end of the year because this defense is providing such a high floor for him, and we've seen what can happen before when Story gets on a tear, so that's a guy I would watch in the AL for the rest of the season, but right now, Jose Altuve is definitely your all-star at second base. Moving over to third base, and we'll go in order of you know how you would uh, write these guys down in a scorebook, so we'll move over to third base, and then we'll go to shortstop. Uh, Rafael Devers was named the all-star starter. I agree with that, but it, this is one of the toughest decisions, I think, to make because Jose Ramirez is also having an amazing year, and this has you know, consistently been the choice that voters have to make is between Devers and Ramirez. Both of these guys are elite third basemen. Ramirez this this year was 64th percentile and outs above average, while Devers is only at 28th percentile, 28th percentile. Devers does have a 170 WRC plus, while Ramirez is at 164. So Devers has been 6% better as a hitter this year. The rewards are basically the same. Devers has a 4.3 war. Ramirez has a 4.2. So you're looking at those and you're saying, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to decide this. And, and the tiebreaker for me is the ex-WOBA. Uh, Devers' ex-WOBA is 50 points higher than Jose Ramirez. Devers' ex-WOBA is 401. Ramirez is 350. That indicates that Devers, the contact he is making, how hard he's hitting the ball, where he's hitting the ball, indicates that he has performed better so far this year. Devers just hits the ball harder. His hard hit rate is in the 96th percentile, while Jose Ramirez is, is in the 39th percentile. So Ramirez is a guy that can can work a walk. He almost never strikes out, but Devers so far, just the contact he's been making, I, I think I will choose him over Ramirez. Um, a couple of fun Ramirez stats, though, as, as we go as well. He's got 38 walks this year to 35 strikeouts. We already talked about how rare that is with Alejandro Kirk. That That's ridiculous for, for a guy to have that skill level to be able to walk as much as he strikes out. He's also 99th percentile in K percentage, meaning that only 1% of players strike out at a higher or at a lower rate than him. So he almost never strikes out. And for him to be able to hit with this much power, but also still never strike out, it's super impressive because... And you talk about Arias earlier, the first baseman for the Twins. Arias leads the MLB in K percentage. Arias only hits for contact. That is not what Jose Ramirez does. Jose Ramirez also hits for power. And so that's super impressive for him to be able to balance those things. And it's very rare to see a guy that has the ability to do that. Like Albert Pujols was a guy in the early 2000s who was also able to do this, where he would walk more than he struck out and he would also hit 30 or 40 homers. It's it's very rare for a guy to be this skilled. But right now, Devers is just making hitting the ball so hard that I would give him the edge. And he does have the slight edge in war as well, which, you know, 0.1 difference in war is not really a factor to me. That, that really had no factor in the decision. But um, I will pick Devers as the third baseman. 
Moving to shortstop, this is one I think was pretty pretty much botched at this point. Tim Anderson was selected as the shortstop in the American League. I, I don't really think he was the right choice. Um, I would personally pick Xander Bogarts. I, I really don't even think Tim Anderson is the second choice in this case. And it was weird that Bogarts was not even one of the finalists selected. And, you know, that's on Red Sox fans for not voting him, I guess. They supported Devers. They didn't support Bogarts. But shortstop to me was completely botched. Uh, Bogarts is a full win, uh, more valuable so far than Anderson over the course of the season, which is a very large gap for just half the season. I don't even think Anderson so far has been better than Jeremy Pena from the Astros or Corey Seager from the Texas Rangers. You know, in terms of WRC plus, Bogarts is at 136, Jeremy Pena is at 122, Seager is at 118, and Tim Anderson is at 126. So Anderson has been the second best offensive player out of this group. Based on these offensive numbers, I would have actually thought in most years that Xander Bogarts would have not been the all-star selection because he has been such a poor, poorly graded defender in the past few years, but he has turned his defense around this year. He is 64th percentile in outs above average after in previous years grading out as one of the two or three worst defensive shortstops in all of baseball. Tim Anderson is at the 77th percentile, but you know that gap between offensive production is probably a little bit more than Tim, Tim Anderson's um, defensive performance, and that explains the gap in wins above replacement that Bogarts has over Tim Anderson. Corey Seager probably has not been good enough at the plate. You know, that's a pretty big gap between Bogarts at, in terms of WRC+, but he is another guy that I would really look out for in the second half because his expected stats in terms of expected batting average, expected slug, expected slugging, uh, expected WOBA, all of those are above 90th percentile, and most of them are at 95 or higher. So this guy could be a second half star. I, I'd be on the lookout for him to break out as the Rangers are back in this wildcard race as well. The other guy that I'll mention, you know, Jeremy Pena, this is a guy that I picked as a breakout player going into this year. He has exceeded those expectations. He's been one of the best rookies in all of baseball. He's been pretty good at the plate, somewhat inconsistent, but when you look at him, he's 96th percentile in sprint speed and 96th percentile in outs above average. So those foundations, usually at least defense is a little more consistent year over year. Obviously, he's not going to get that much slower from year to year. So having that floor as a player, being an elite defensive shortstop and also a super athletic guy on the base paths, that's going to allow him to take time to develop as a hitter. And if he turns into a good hitter, he has the chance to become an MVP. Right now, what's holding him back is the patience at the plate. He is 10th percentile in walk rate. He's 11th percentile in chase rate, so he's not walking very much, and he's swinging at a lot of pitches outside the zone. But if he can hone those things in, his potential is sky high. Back to Bogarts. What's interesting about this is this is actually his worst offensive season since 2017, but he turned this defense around in the final year of his contract, and so that's big for his future because you know, I, I think teams were concerned a little bit about his ability to play shortstop in, into late into his next contract. And maybe they still are, but this is a promising sign for him. And I think it should be should help him get paid a little more in the offseason, which will be nice. And, and to further explain why I think Bogarts is the right answer over Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson just does not walk at all. He's like third percentile in walk rate. He's also not an elite power guy. It's very hard to have not have both of those things and be one of the best players at your position because you, you usually have to have one of the two. You've got to get on base a lot, or when you hit, you've got to hit for power because you're just not getting as many opportunities if all you're doing is singles and doubles. So I think that's what Anderson would need to improve on to, to catch a guy like Bogarts, but Bogarts is having a great year, and I think he's deserving of this all-star selection at shortstop. 
All right, moving into the outfield here. So, you know, usually in in the All-Star game, the way it works is all three outfielders are just selected together. So that's how I'm going to group this because it's not, it doesn't really go left field, center field, right field. You're just kind of all outfielders are in the same pool. So we'll talk about the three outfielders here. The, the biggest thing, and I will say this as we go into outfield and then also DH, is the the three guys that were picked as all-star starters for the outfield were Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, and Giancarlo Stanton. The DH was voted as Shohei Otani. There, the name that is missing here is Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is having an, a, a ridiculous season, and we'll get a little bit more into that as we go here. The issue here is Alvarez was listed as a DH. Okay, that's fine. He he probably is a DH, right? So I think he is more of a DH than an outfielder. Let's get that out of the way first. The problem now is Otani is what? How do you fit Otani into anything, right? He's a two way player. He pitches any hits. So Otani is filling up that DH spot. He's also one of the most popular players in the league. Alvarez is having a better season right now statistically than Otani as a designated hitter. Now Otani still might be having a better full season because he's just so ridiculous. The issue now is, so let's say, okay, fine. Otani's the DH, right? We'll, we'll concede that. The problem now is you look to the outfield. Jordan Alvarez was not eligible to be put at outfield this year, even though he has played more games in the outfield this year than Giancarlo Stanton. So Stanton, a player who has significantly worse statistics across the board than Jordan Alvarez, was able to get this third outfield spot. So it's really, my disagreement here is not necessarily with the voting, it's with the process that allowed Stanton to be eligible for this third outfield spot and not Jordan Alvarez, because we will now get into the three guys that I have selected as outfielders, and that is Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, and Jordan Alvarez. And let me say, the only debate here is Jordan's eligibility, because these guys may have been the three best hitters in all of baseball. Jordan right now has a 197 WRC plus. So he is almost 100% better than a league average hitter. Judge is at 169. Trout's at 168. And this is viewed right now for Trout as a down year, which is hilarious because he is still just so much better than almost everybody else in the league. Jordan is basically David Ortiz 2.0. And I say that as a person who grew up a Red Sox fan because of David Ortiz. That's, that's how highly I view Jordan. His ability to hit for power and contact is and walk at a high rate is just unparalleled. Trout, you know, might be the goat. Judge is a video game character. Like this outfield is ridiculous this year. Um, their baseball savant pages where a lot of these advanced analytics are listed are just covered in red, which indicates a very high 90th percentile. All these guys are just covered in 90 plus percentile ratings across the board. Trout first, I'll, I'll talk about Trout first. I mean, it's unreal how well this guy's athleticism is translating at this point in his career. He is starting to age. He is still 90th percentile in outs above average this year and 97th percentile in sprint speed. This is a guy who is like 230 pounds and he's just a massive guy and he's still this athletic. He's still able to play the field extremely well. And oh yeah, he's also in the top 2% of expected weighted on base average. He's got a career low walk rate. He's got a career high launch angle and a career high barrel rate. So even though he's not walking, he's just making such good contact. He's hitting the ball hard when he does hit it and he's hitting it high in the air as well. So his contact is just amazing this year. And if he could hone this walk rate back in, I think we're immediately back to looking at Trout as one of the best offensive years of his career. Now going to judge, 
it, what's unreal about Judge is even with this ridiculous 169 WRC plus, he is still getting very unlucky. His ex Woba is 448, while his Woba is 405, meaning that there's almost a 50 point difference there in his expected versus his actual. That is a huge gap and indicates that you know this could get even better for Judge as the year goes on. His OPS is still almost at a thousand, which is elite tier in baseball. And he is he has the best expe- expected weighted on base average in all of baseball, 99th percentile in hard hit rate, 90 even still 96th percentile in expected batting average. So this is a guy that's viewed as a power hitter. His contact right now is still as good as almost anybody in baseball. It's just a it's just a stupidly good year. It's a ridiculous year for Aaron Judge. He's certainly an MVP consideration. Now the last one, Jordan Alvarez. He might be the best pure hitter of these three right now, which is ridiculous to think about with how good these all three of these guys are hitting. Everything on his StatCast page is 100th percentile in terms of the way he's hitting the baseball. He hits everything and he hits it far. He also is 96th percentile in walk rate, which is just such a nice cherry on top to have this guy that he hits for power, he hits for contact. And then when he doesn't swing, he's still getting on base. Like there's just no way to approach this guy. He might be the most complete hitter in all of baseball. He's able to yank outside pitches completely all the way into right center field. He turns on inside pitches extremely well. He always is on balance. He never looks fooled on anything and he can fight pitches off and turn them into base hits whenever he doesn't fully make contact with it. So, I mean, Alvarez, I think he's just on pace to be one of the best hitters we've ever seen. And he may never win an MVP because his defense is pretty much non-existent. He's either a designated hitter or a really poor defensive outfielder, but this is one of the best hitting talents we've ever seen. He's just ridiculous. Lastly, and a couple of shout outs here to guys that really, you know, they weren't close enough to even really get consideration, but I do want to shout them out just because these other three outfielders are so dominant that it's hard to really consider anyone else. But Byron Buxton this year, like, I mean, I could literally say this every year about Byron Buxton. He's having a great year. He just hasn't played enough. Um, If he had played more games, he could have been up there a little bit more. He's got at least 10 games less than all these guys closer to 15, I believe for judge. So it's just hard for him to catch up to those guys in terms of cumulative stats, but Buxton is having a pretty good year. The other guy I want to mention is Julio Rodriguez, a rookie outfielder for the Mariners. Just like Jeremy Pena for the Astros, uh, J-Rod is also having an amazing rookie year. He came in as a five-tool player. He's already stolen over 20 bases this year. He has elite power. He has the potential to be a great defender. He's already having as good of an offensive year as Byron Buxton is this year. So He's certainly my favorite of the top prospects coming up right now. I think he's another guy that can win MVP at some point, and he's a true five-tool player. So those are a couple guys that I think deserve consideration or at least recognition for that. And if Jordan Alvarez was not eligible, I especially think that J-Rod or Buxton would have been good selections in that third spot, even over Giancarlo Stanton. All right, moving into the last one, and especially if you have Jordan Alvarez as an outfielder, which I did, this selection is pretty easy, I'll say. Shohei Otani is going to be the DH, and that's who was voted the DH. Um, I'm obviously sticking with that for sure. Otani, you know, the only argument for this is if you're only looking at this as a DH, like only how the guy has hit this year, you can make an argument that J.D. Martinez, and J.D. Martinez has been better offensively this year. I'm not really sure that's fair because when we look at guys, you know, we'll get to this in the NL episode. So this is a little bit of a preview, but 
I don't think it's fair to penalize guys for being versatile, right? We'll get we'll talk about this when we get to second base with Tommy Edmond, but Otani should not be penalized and miss the starting lineup because he's not technically one of the six or seven best AL starting pitchers and also not technically the best designated hitter because the culmination of his skills make him one of the best players, if not the best player in all of baseball. So yes, JD is currently having a better offensive year, but Shohei still has the higher expected weighted on base average. So the way he's hitting the ball indicates that he should have some positive regression here, have a better second half. So it's not that much. JD's offense is not that much better than Shohei. And oh yeah, Shohei Otani pitches and has racked up 2.6 pitching war along with his offensive statistics. He is in the AL MVP conversation right now, even with how poorly the Angels have played recently, because he's pretty close to all these other guys when you combine his hitting war and his pitching war, which obviously makes sense. He also is effectively taking up two roster spots because he's he's a pitcher that your team doesn't have to fill a roster spot with, but he's also a hitter. That is so valuable to a team in the way they can manage their roster because they can carry an extra hitter or an extra pitcher on their roster consistently because Otani is playing both of those roles. So that has to be worth something as well, more than just the statistical production he has had this year. The other thing, you know, I just want to see Otani in the All-Star game more than J.D. Martinez. I'm a Red Sox fan. I love J.D. Martinez, but J.D. Martinez is definitely not as fun to watch as Shohei Otani in an All-Star game. So yeah, if if you're asking who the better hitter has been this year, it is technically J.D. Martinez. But if you're asking who the better player is, that's not even a question. It's Shohei Otani. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'll run through this, my all-star starting lineup here to recap here, and then we'll conclude. My catcher is Alejandro Kirk. First base, Jose Abreu. Second base, Jose Altuve. Third base, Rafael Devers. Shortstop, Xander Bogarts. My three outfielders are Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, and Jordan Alvarez, and my designated hitter is Shohei Otani. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Let me know if you agree or disagree. Hopefully, I explained at least some of the advanced analytics well enough to people who may not be as familiar with those. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me about that as well. I'll be back soon with the NL episode, um, and we'll hopefully unpack a little bit more of those selections as we go. So thanks for listening, and Hope you've enjoyed this episode and have a good day.